Please turn your Bibles to um, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. We'll be taking a survey through many verses, though. I appreciate your prayers. My throat is a bit dry also. I have a sore throat. It's not as bad as Kyle's, Pastor Kyle's, but God will help us. Father, we pray that you would help us as we look at your word right now. Lord, we want to learn and we want to grow. We want to grow by your word. And we just thank you for the privilege of having what you've given to us, for not leaving us in the dark, for teaching us. We pray, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. In Christ's name, amen. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So this morning we're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit. This is not the fruit of the Christian. This is not our fruit that that we cause to happen with our own willpower. You can look at the, the nine aspects of this fruit here, and you can think that some of these look pretty natural. They look like very natural characteristics. But if my message is basically Christian, try to be more loving or try to be more joyful, we can attempt to do that in our own willpower and our own self-righteousness, but we'll be missing the context of what the fruit, of what this fruit really is. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of the Christian. And also the greater context that this area of Galatians 5 here is dealing with walking with the Spirit. And as we are united with Christ, remember Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. So as we are abiding in Christ, he's the vine, we're the branches. We're bearing fruit in our union with Jesus Christ, in our communion with him, in prayer and meditation upon his word and meditation upon him. And as we're walking with the Spirit, we will be bearing this fruit. So it, it is God's fruit. It's, it's not our fruit. About this fruit of the Spirit, it is one fruit with nine aspects to it. We have here, the, it's not the fruits of the Spirit are. It's a, a singular noun, the, the fruit, and it's a singular verb. The fruit of the Spirit is. And it's in, in a context with the works of the flesh. There in Galatians 5. It's it's different from the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are each individual. You think about the works of the flesh, you can look at the list there. We have murders, drunkenness, um, adultery, hatred, and all of those works of the flesh, there are they are singular. They are individual. Not everybody will participate in every one of those works of the flesh. But when it comes to the fruit of the spirit, the, the characteristics of this fruit, these nine aspects of it. They are to be taken as a solid unit. You can't separate them. If you have love, you also have self-control. If you have self-control, you also have gentleness. So, so this fruit of the spirit is one unit, whereas the works of the flesh is, is all individual. So we're going to be looking at the, these nine aspects of the fruit of the spirit. And right there, this is going to be a nine part message. So I'll be looking at the clock. I'll try to, um, um, get through them all in time. I am aware that if 
if I need to, I can use the um, extra 30 minutes that I didn't use the last time I preached. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to do that, but um, we'll see how many we can get through. And and um, Lord willing, we'll cover the rest of them if we don't get through all of them in time. So the first one is going to be love. The first aspect of the fruit of the spirit is love. And, and, and I think it's first for a reason. This is the chief attribute. Lo- love, love is first. Love must be first. And this is the attribute that really has to do with all the other attributes of the, of the fruit of the spirit here. When love is compared with faith and hope, the greatest of them is, is love. Love is greater than having the gift of prophecy. Having love is greater than understanding all mysteries and all knowledge. Love is greater than having all faith. And I think about faith. I wish I had more faith. If I had more faith, I could serve God better. I could not trust in things other than God better. If I had all faith, I I could understand more of God's word and more of who he is and more of who I am as a Christian. But having love is greater than having all faith. So I am to be seeking love over faith. Having love is greater than removing mountains. That, that's a huge one. If one Christian could remove mountains, whether that's symbolic or not, but if one Christian could do that, that would be amazing. That would be a sight to see, but having love is greater than removing mountains. It's greater than giving everything you have to feed the poor. Having love is greater than the ultimate sacrifice, which is the giving of our, of our very lives. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because God is love, he, he, he gave us his son, because of his love. First John 4, 7 says, love is of God. And verse 8 says, God is love. So sin is of man. Sin takes and, and consumes, but love is of God and love gives. Love is sacrificial. Love, love is beneficial to all those who, who, are, who are around, those who benefit from love. Jesus gave us the greatest commandment. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. And Jesus told us that we are to love God with a love like that. With God's kind of love. We're to love God with that kind of love. A love that suffers long and is kind. A love that does not envy. A love that does not parade itself. A love that is not puffed up. A love that doesn't behave rudely. Doesn't seek its own. That kind of love. God's love. A love that thinks no evil. That does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. A love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We are to love God with a love that never fails. And we can't do that. We can't do that. That love is, is too pure for us. It's too high for us. It's, it's a holy love. And on top of that, Jesus gave us the second greatest commandment. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. We can't do that. And we know that it's wrong to seek to try to dumb this love down to our level so we can try to to make it a love that we can do and say, well, look, God, I, I, I loved in this way. We know that's wrong. And we know that it's wrong to try to love God according to his level, according to God's love. We, or It's not wrong, but we can't do that. We would fail every time that we try. It's an, an impossibility. But Jesus did tell us to love God and to love our neighbor. It does say in Romans chapter five, verse five, it says the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The, the love of God. And, and this is the love we're dealing with. This godly love. It's agape love. God's love. It's been 
pour it out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So what do we make of this? Well, I can't love God in that way. So does does that mean nothing? No, God's love has been poured out into our hearts and, and it means something. And you know what? Even if we didn't have Romans 5, 5, we have that same truth when we look at our text, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. God has given us his love. And God calls us to love him with that kind of love. God calls us to love others with that kind of love. And of course, because we have the flesh, because we have sin, we will not be able to do this perfectly. We will fail. But that's why we can come to Christ. We can confess our sins to him. And he's faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins. And then we continue to love him. So we continue to love others. Because the fruit of the Spirit is working in our life to do that. There's a verse that says, God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And this is the, the chief characteristic. If we're abiding in God's love, we're abiding in God. Martin Luther said, it would have been enough to have said love and no more. For love extends to all the, the fruit of the spirit. And, and I agree with that. If we can look at, if, if we have love, we would have all of the fruit of the spirit. But I think there is really a sense that we are to look at all nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And like an excited child of a father we, we, who has received gifts from his father. And we are opening these gifts. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And we can look at, look at what God has given to us. There can be a perspective of the fruit of the Spirit where we can look at it and we can say, I can't love that way. I don't have any gentleness. I don't have self-control and we can look at it with that perspective. And I think that's the wrong perspective. That's not it's not God saying, Christian, you need to do this. This is the expectation of you. You need to have this fruit. That's not how we should read this text. This text tells us, Christian, as you're walking with God, as you're walking with the spirit and being led by the spirit, this is the fruit that God is going to bear in your life through his Holy Spirit. Love joy, peace, and so forth. So we can look at the fruit of the Spirit, understanding, wow, I have this, these characteristics working in my, in my life. And with that perspective, then we can learn, well, I have love by God's grace and through the help of the Holy Spirit, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I have love and, and I can love in a way, not perfectly, of course we know this, but maybe we can love in a way that, that God wants us to, that God has given to us to love with and in a way that is is um, loving to others and loving to those who are around us. So the second attribute is going to be joy. Joy may express itself in happiness, but it's not it's not happiness. Joy may express itself in singing, but it's it's not singing. And in the same way that love is not natural to man, joy is not natural to man either. This is going to be a characteristic that is given to us through the Holy Spirit. This is the joy of the Spirit. We can compare joy with, with happiness. And, and happiness is, is a natural effect of some good that you've received. If, if you pass the, the exam in school, you're happy. If you, um, if you get the job that you wanted, you're happy. If you don't pass the exam, you don't get the job, you're not happy. But there's something to joy where, where joy isn't like that. Joy isn't dependent upon earthly good that, that comes your way. You can even experience some kind of tragedy, some kind of earthly tragedy, and that will not stop the joy of the Spirit. It will not hinder it. 
we can go through some tragedies where we can't even see clearly and, and, and we can't see anything other than the pain. But that, that joy is going to be there. I think of Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. It says, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength, that will hinder whatever sorrow that we're going to be going through. There is a strength, a strength to joy to where sorrow will not over, overcome the Christian. No matter how great the sorrow, it will not overcome the Christian because of this joy of the spirit that we have. That's, that's our strength. That's a spiritual strength. Matthew Poole said about joy that it's the soul's satisfaction and its union with God as the greatest and highest good. So when we're joyful, we can compare whatever tragedy that we're going through, whatever discouragement this life is bringing our, bringing our way. And even though that's difficult in this life, you will have trials, Christ said. Even though that is difficult, we're still going to have joy because we have the joy of the Spirit. And, and that, that, that is over any tragedy that we'll experience in this life. It is beyond it. Uh, one paradox that we see in the scriptures is going to be in First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6. It says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, received the word in much affliction. Those Christians were enduring trials and persecution with joy of the spirit. How can you receive the word in much affliction with along with joy of the spirit? Those two don't go together. Affliction, hardship does not go with joy. What does if the joy of the spirit supersedes the affliction, if it's above it and beyond it? And and that that is where this joy comes in. This joy comes in and any hardship we have, the Christian will continue to have joy. There is a strength in this joy to where our sorrows will not overwhelm us. Our sorrows will not overcome us. And I would say, Christian, don't resist joy. If, if you look at your life and you think you're not that joyful of a person, don't resist joy when you think about it, when it comes to you, when you when you read about it in the scriptures. Joy is attractive. The joyful Christian honors God. The joyful Christian is a testimony to God. We, we, we show forth a love for Christ and a delight in Christ when we are seen to be joyful. A joyful Christian is more evangelistic than a miserable evangelist. If we have joy, so we can ask ourselves, are we entirely satisfied, like the, the Matthew Paul quote, are we entirely satisfied in our union with Christ? We can say that we know that Christ is our all, but, but do we feel that? Do we experience that? Being, belonging to God and being a child of God, are we entirely satisfied with that? Or, or do we tend to seek for some kind of satisfaction outside of outside of Christ and outside of the parameters that Jesus has given to us as Christians. And where we um, where joy and and seriousness contrast with each other, I think we should try to be less serious and and more joyful. Proverbs 17:22 says a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. So maybe maybe we need to look into this issue of joy and and, and see where we can be more joyful in our lives. There, there is an association between joy and singing. You see that in the scriptures. When, when we're singing, there, there, there is joy there. It's nearly impossible to be singing and to be singing loudly and excitedly and to not be joyful. It's pretty much impossible to, to be a miserable singer. Uh, that's more like a layman or a dirge. You can't do that or, or a chant. 
but to be singing, it, we see joy must go along with that. We even see that in the world. In the world, people who are singing, there's smiles on their faces. There's joy in their hearts. They're happy. They're laughing. So I really think there's something to singing with joy. And every every time we gather together for corporate worship, we have an opportunity to to sing the hymns, and we can sing the hymns with joy, and we can sing them loudly and excitedly, and and there can be joy in our hearts, and there there can be joy as we express how we sing. So there's an association with joy in singing. There's also an association with with joy and laughter. And it, I think it's good for us to to laugh more. And if you think, well, maybe you don't laugh that much, well, you can you can ask Casey to tell you a joke. He's not here right now. He'll probably tell you five of them, but but um. Laughter is is a good thing. I, I delight in, in in laughing, and it, there's something about it. it. There there is strength to joy when we think about laughter. When we think about joy, you're encouraged and you're motivated, and and there there is that strength. And the scriptures say it's not just an emotional thing. They it, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a spiritual reality. It's a spiritual strength that we have from the joy of the Lord. So the next one is going to be peace. Peace begins with the work of Christ on on our behalf. Isaiah 48:22 says, "There is no peace," says the Lord, "for the wicked." Outside of Christ, outside of any goodness or grace of God, there's no peace. There, there, there's striving, there's fighting, there's animosity, there's hatred, and this is a case in the life with every unbeliever. And the closer an unbeliever gets to Christ, the the more peace you would see there, and it's not going to be true peace or complete fulfilled peace until the unbeliever is truly following Christ. But the farther we get from from God, the darker we are and the less peace there is and, and the more evil and sin and hatred and pain there is. So peace is only, we only have peace through our union with Christ because Jesus died on the cross for us. We have peace. Ephesians 2 says, For he himself is our peace, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. So when Jesus died on the cross for us, he made peace with us. He made peace between us and God. There was only hostility there. There was only enmity there. Enmity between us and God and between God and us. There was no union. We're called children of wrath before Christ saved us. Children of wrath. That means we were children under God's wrath, under his displeasure. But now that we're saved, we're children of God. We, we belong to God. And that only came because of the peace that Christ gave to us. And now that people have become Christian, you think, how many marriages have been restored because of peace? How many, how much reconciliation has happened? How many fathers and sons who once hated each other, who once were angry each other, with each other, they couldn't let things go, are now in union with each other, are, are now delighting in each other's presence? How many relationships have been restored because the peace of God has entered into people's hearts? Peace only comes through. Knowing God. And this is the fruit of the Spirit. Peace. And this peace, just like all the characteristics that we have, it's not like we can receive this peace from God and say, thank you, God, and, and go on, and now I have peace. No, this peace must continue and must be maintained in our union with God. As we walk with God, the peace will continue. As we're walking in the Spirit, the peace will continue. It's the, it's the fruit of the Spirit, and we continue to have this fruit as we're walking with God, receiving this Peace from the Holy Spirit. It says in the scriptures, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So as we are putting our minds upon Christ, as we're trusting in him and looking to him, 
and prayerfully yielding ourselves to him, that's where the peace is found. It's in union with Christ. And when you think about this peace, there's really three part or three areas of our life where we would see this peace. First, it's going to be peace with God. Second, it's going to be peace in our relationships, peace with others. And of course, if some people are are backwards to God and their hearts are not yielded to God, it'll be more difficult to have peace with them. But we're to seek for that. We're to we're to strive for that. But then also this peace must show itself in our in our thought life, in our minds. And we can think, how are our anxieties? How are our fears? How are our worries? Is is there peace there? Well, the fruit of the Spirit will conquer those fears. It will conquer those anxieties, those worries. In this life, we may never be truly free from all of our doubts because of the weakness of the flesh, the weakness of the mind, because of our sin. But has the peace of God in a large way conquered that 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 those fears, those anxieties in our minds. Can we rest in Christ? Like like we like we sing. Is, is our rest in Christ? Those fears, worries, anxieties, doubts, those are all enemies of the cross. They're all enemies of Christ. And the scriptures say God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we can think God talks about this power that he's given to us, it why does it say that? Because it's God's power that that removes the spirit of fear in our lives. It's God's power that removes that. And peace is such a great gift that God has given to us. Don't take that for granted. If you have peace with God, if there's brothers and sisters in Christ that you have peace with, if, if there's people that you know where in, in all your relationships that you have peace with, if you don't struggle like some people do in their minds, that's a great gift from God. You know, I looked it up again this morning and it's still true. The second leading cause of suicide among teenagers is, is what? Suicide. Suicide. And, and what causes suicide? A lack of peace in the mind. There's some sorrow that they cannot get over and not just teenagers, but all, you know, you think about suicide in general. You think about anxieties and depression and all the medication that people are on because of that. Maybe in some cases it, it's, it's, it's a good thing, but in, in, in most of the, of the cases, it's it's people seeking for peace who don't have peace with God, so they're seeking for peace outside of a relationship with God. If you have peace, that's the fruit of the Spirit. The next one, the next attribute is going to be long-suffering or suffering long. This is going to be enduring some kind of trial in this life without it overwhelming you, without it overcoming you. It's trusting in God as you go through the trial of the loss of a loved one or dealing with an unfaithful spouse, or dealing with, with a teenager who follows a sinful life. Trusting God as, as you face financial hardship because you, you, you lost your job and, and, and you're going through that hardship. It's trusting God. It's, it's not turning away from God. It's yielding yourself to the providence of God and being able to say, even in the difficulty, God is good. God has saved me. God has, has Turn my heart towards him and God is good. Even in this difficulty, God is good. And, and I will yield myself to God's providence because whatever he does is right. That's his fruit of the spirit. Long suffering. It's knowing that God is with you as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And the longer you live, the, the more valleys you're going to go through. And, and this fruit, this characteristic of this fruit is there for the Christian 
when the Christian goes through suffering. And we're going to go through suffering. In prosperous America, in comfortable America, we're going to go through suffering. Suffering will not will be will be something that you cannot evade. And especially if you're a Christian, God has certain areas of suffering that He has allotted to you in your life for you to go through. And it's for your good. And it's for His glory. Some translations here where it says long suffering and the New King James, some translations say say patience. Well, don't think that patience is a is a bad um, um, translation. If your view of patience is just, well, I need to be patient as I as I wait in a long line at the grocery store, or I need to be patient as I I wait I wait in my car and I have to I have to hear a few more songs and I have to I have to sit in my comfortable seats with the air conditioning on a few more minutes. Or I just got to be patient and not yell at the person next to me. If, if that's all patience is, well, then yeah, maybe it it is different than the word long suffering in the New King James, but the actual word patience, the root, the root of patience is pati, P-A-T-I. And pati is Latin, is the Latin word for suffering. We can think of the word patible. Something is patible. If it's patible, that means it's endurable. You gotta tolerate it. It's some difficulty that you don't like, but you will tolerate it. The, the Webster Dictionary defines patience as the suffering of, of afflictions, pain, toil, calamity, provocation or other evil with a calm, unruffled temper, endurance without murmuring or fretfulness. So patience is a is a good synonym for long suffering when we understand what the word patience means. Patience is also defined as the act or quality of waiting long for justice or ex- some expected good without discontent. And God first showed patience or long suffering to us when or he, he first showed us this long-suffering and how he dealt with us. The scriptures say that God is holy. We know that God is holy. God is holy, and he is of pure eyes and to behold evil, and he cannot look at wickedness. So what did he do with us wicked sinners? Cast us into hell? Well, if we're still sitting here, he hasn't. He's shown us his mercy. He's shown us his, some of us, his salvation. It says in Psalm 103, verses 8 and 10, 8 through 10, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. There's patience. There's the long suffering of God. He is slow to anger. Slow to anger. So God first showed us his long suffering and now he has given us this fruit of the spirit, this characteristic of long suffering so we can show it to others. And, and this long suffering is most evident in our lives when it is most expect, most unexpected because we're dealing with some difficult situation or some difficult person. And we can show long suffering in that situation. Jesus said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So we can love like that. With long-suffering, we can love people as, as we deal with difficult relationships. The next one is going to be kindness in, in Titus 3.3. 3. It says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's 
who we were before Christ. That's who we were before any goodness of God in our lives. Hateful, hating one another. And then the next verse says, but when the kindness, there, there's God's kindness, God's kindness that we first saw in him showing this kindness to us. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewal, renewing of the Holy Spirit. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you despise the goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So here we have God's kindness being shown to us in his salvation. Here we have goodness. Goodness is, is the, the same basic Greek word translated as goodness, but it's, the, it's this kindness that God has shown to us. And it's through God's kindness that instead of showing us his wrath that we deserved, the justice that we deserve, God has shown to us his mercy in saving us through his goodness and through his kindness. And for all eternity, it says in Ephesians, for all eternity, God will show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So God has first shown us his kindness. So we know kindness because we all we have to do is look at what we deserve from God and look at what he has given to us. Instead, he has given to us his love and his mercy, bringing us into himself and giving us salvation, a relationship with him, a, a right relationship with him. And we know this kindness because we look at how God first treated us. And we can see what kindness is. There is a sense where goodness and kindness are very similar to one another. There is a way that we can see goodness as the act done and kindness as the motivation behind the act. So if if you are a kind person, you're going to do good. But kindness isn't just motivation. If you look at the if you look at the works of the flesh and contrast them with the fruit of the spirit there in Galatians five. And you look at the list of the works of the flesh, you look at the, the list of the fruit of the spirit, you, you can really see how there's a contrast between these, between these characteristics, between these sins versus these virtues, we can say. And it's, it's almost like when you think about when you're at school and you'd get a, a sheet of paper and you'd have one list on one side of the sheet and another list on the other side and you'd draw lines across from this word is a synonym of that word or this word is an antonym of that word. It's almost like that, but it's not exactly like that. We're not meant to see where, where the fruit of the Spirit contrasts with the works of the flesh. But when you take the works of the flesh as a whole, and you take the fruit of the Spirit as a whole, you will see that there is a huge contrast between the two. The one who is, who is living according to the works of the flesh is going to live in that way, and we see that long list of sins, and we know that it could even be even longer, because it says there in Galatians 5, and, and things like these or something like that. So there could be many more sins mentioned there. And you look at the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. There is a contrast between how the Christian is going to live as he is walking with God, as he is walking in the Spirit, and as he is bearing this fruit of the Spirit versus how he probably lived before he knew God, if if he got saved later in life. Or if he got saved young, you'll see the contrast with how he's living versus how those who are living according to the the world's ways are, are living. For example... You, you can really see that there, there are some words, even though we're not meant to say, well, which word in the fruit of the Spirit is a direct contrast of that word in the works of the flesh? But we can really, if you look at them, you can see there are some words that really, in one way or another, in one sense, can contrast the words that we see, the sins that we see in the works of the flesh. And we can see that love can contrast hatred. Peace can contrast contentions. Self-control can contrast outbursts of wrath. 
And if you look at, if you're looking at Galatians 5 there, what words in the word, works of the flesh can kindness contrast? Yeah. In the New King James, it's, it's kindness. How, how does it read in the King James? Okay. Kindness and gentleness are very similar. Um, okay, so which, let's go with gentleness. Uh, what, what words in the works of the flesh there will, will gentleness or kindness contrast? Contentions. Yeah, it, it can contrast contentions. Jealousies in that is in there. If, if you're showing kindness, if you're showing gentleness, there, there's, it's going to be the opposite of jealousies. It's the opposite of hatred. It's the opposite of envy. Murders. So, what's that? Murders, too. Mur- yeah, yeah, because it's, it's kind not to murder the person, even though you may feel like it. Yeah. Um, I think in one way or another, all of these words can contrast each other in certain senses, especially love. Love can, love contrasts every one of the works of the flesh. Um, but that's that's the way we need to view it. And and I kind of went on that train of thought because someone can see in the New King James can look at kindness and 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 think well, kindness. It it sounds kind of kind of weak of a of a word. As a Christian, I, I I have kindness, and what's the big deal about kindness? And so I just want us to see that as a whole, the 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 fruit of the spirit contrasts the works of the flesh. And in some cases, if there's a word that we don't think is Maybe such a big deal. Well, maybe it's because we don't understand it that well. David? I'm just going to, I'm not sure if this word is listed in the works of the flesh, but selfishness can be a contrast. Yeah. Because if we're selfish, we're putting ourselves first and we're not showing kind, kindness is putting the other person first. Yeah. That's true. So there, there is a contrast with, with kindness with the, with the works of the flesh. What, how would we define, um, or, what is the opposite of kindness? And I'm not thinking about those those works of the flesh listed, but what would we say if we would have one word that's the opposite of kindness? Meanness. 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 And I agree, and I looked it up, and it's pretty much, yeah. Uh, the, the word that the opposite of kindness is, is meanness. So if we're going to be thinking as a Christian, I'm going to bear this fruit of kindness, what does that look like? Well, we know it looks like the opposite of meanness whatever meanness is, and whatever our relationships are. If we're, we're thinking about being mean, well, let's do the opposite of that, and that would be being kind. And kindness is as simple as saying hello to a stranger or slowing down to, to, to let someone in, yielding to another person in a difficult situation. It's as simple as sharing kind words or, or giving food to the homeless. Being kind to that lady who at Walmart whose child is whiny and annoying you and annoying everybody else. And instead of you being an annoyed and wanting to address her in her parenting, you just show kindness. There, there, there is a time and a place for kindness. And this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's stopping to help someone who needs your help when you don't have time to do it. So it's going to be putting your own needs aside in order to show kindness and selfishness. We really see that as a contrast to this. It's forgiving the repentant when you're tempted not to. It's showing sympathy and affection for the sick and the hurting. There is an, an anonymous poet who wrote, I have wept in the night for the shortness of sight 
that to somebody's need made me blind, but I have, but I never have yet felt a twinge of regret for being a little too kind. So we can think of kindness as such a simple thing, but as, as the fruit of the Spirit, it's, it's, it's a large, it's a large thing. And God wants us to show kindness in all of our relationships with others as He's shown us His kindness in, 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 in our lives when we were sinners against God, going away from God, and God showed us kindness in His salvation. So the next one that I have here is going to be goodness. Goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. How did you do in this one before you were saved? When you didn't know God. How did you do when it came to goodness? Well, you don't need to tell me because it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And we know about the young man who came running up to Jesus and, and Jesus told him, no one is good, no, not one. You may have shared that verse with, with, with someone as you're sharing the gospel. But now we have goodness, even though we see in the scriptures, no one is good, no one not one, but we have as the fruit of the Spirit. One of the characteristics of this fruit is goodness. What do we do with that? One of the characteristics of this fruit is goodness that we're supposed to be living out, but yet no one is good. Is it time to get our Sharpie out and just kind of mark out goodness there? And we'll be okay with the other eight, the other eight aspects of this fruit? No. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. And when Jesus told that young man, no one is good, no, not one, he was dealing with a person who was trying to commend himself to God and saying, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? That's what the young man had asked him. When it comes to you trying to inherit eternal life, when it comes to you trying to trying to be good, trying to see what kind of goodness you have to commend yourself to God, you're not good. And you never will be good. When you look at the passage there in Romans chapter 3, the list of, 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 of what it, what it is, um, where it says that no one is good. Well, that's the unbeliever. That's man in his, in his lostness. That's man apart from any grace of God. We are not good. And we will never be good. And commending ourselves to God, we're not good. But when you belong to God, you are good. We have the fruit of the Spirit. And it's goodness. And God is working His goodness into us and and out of us in our relationships with other people. When I look at goodness in the scriptures, I see that it has to do with benefiting or helping others. If you're doing good, others will benefit from it. Others will be, will benefit from the good that you're doing. Acts chapter 10, 38. And there Peter mentioned how Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So when Jesus did good, people were healed. When Jesus did good, people were saved. When we do good, there's some kind of profit that, that is done. And in one sense, we can look at goodness. When we do good, there is some kind of good that's being done to others. And, and we really see the opposite of that in Romans 3.12. I'll read it again. In Romans 3.12, they have all turned aside. They have together become un- unprofitable. There is none who do- does good. No, not one. So those who are unprofitable are those who don't do good. And those who don't do good are those who are unprofitable. There's no profit to the person who has no goodness. But when we have goodness, when we are we're we're showing out and living this fruit of the spirit of goodness, there is going to be profit to other people. There is going to be a benefit to other people. And we can take this test. We, we can look at how is our goodness or how is the goodness of the spirit, the goodness of God in, in our lives with the Holy Spirit? How does it look in our relationships with others? You can think about your relationships. Think about um, relationships in your in your friend. Think about a close friend. Or a close family member, someone you've known for a long time, or some just just anybody, and and think. In my relationship with that person, has my relationship have 
Has my relationship benefited that person in one way or another? Is there good because of that person's relationship with me? Now, the question isn't, is there good because of my relationship with, with them? Is there good to me? No, we're not checking the goodness of that person. We're checking the goodness of ourselves. So, in my relationship with, with so-and-so, is there good in that person's life because of the relationship that I have with, with him or with her? Or, if I didn't have this relationship with him or her, um, would it be better for that person? I hope that's not the case. Well, that's, that's what goodness is. Goodness is, the goodness that God is working in our life is going to benefit, it's going to be to, to some kind of profit in our relationships and those, and other, with other people around us. And that's what goodness is. And we, we are to pray for goodness and we're to pray for more goodness. Because our goodness is an honor to God. As we're bearing this fruit, it, it's a worship and a honor to God. Paul said that about the Roman Christians. He said in Romans chapter 15 verse 14, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness. Not that you're good, but you're full of goodness. There was much goodness in that group of believers in how they were living and in their relationships and how they were serving God that showed God's goodness being exercised through them and among them. They were full of goodness. Then the next one is going to be faithfulness. It's about time. Let me see. Okay, I'll do that. deal with that. Yeah, and 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 if we're viewing this as a burden, I would say that the first way we need to take this is let's go back to the beginning. Go back to Galatians 5. Go back to God's word to us, the fruit of the spirit. This is what God has given to us. This take it as gifts from God, not so much as expectations from God. So, this is fruit that God has given to us as we are walking with God. What 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 does God require of us? Well, he requires of us to walk with him, to walk with him in obedience, to be people who, who love his word, to be with, to be people who, who delight in communion with him and drawing close to him and who are just yielded to him. We don't want to be, or I don't, I don't think God wants us to be people who say, God, I got this. The Christian thing, I can do it. I, I got it un, under control. I, I, I got it. And that's, that's not an attitude of the Christian that's good. The attitude of the Christian that's good is is a yielded person who says, in many ways, I don't got this. Lord God, I, I need help. I don't understand. Teach me. Help me. It's it's that yield, humble attitude that we need to have to, to God. And and um, yeah, if, if if we with these aspects, as we've looked at them, if it's something like oh, it's just hard, we got to do all of these. Well, that's that's a wrong perspective. I hope our first perspective we have of this is Christian. These are the benefits that God has given to us as we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us. That's that's number one. And Jesus said, I'm going to go away. And it is to your advantage that I go away. And if I go away, I will send him to you. And the Holy Spirit is now dwelling inside of us as believers. This is a high calling, brethren. And we cannot do this in our own strength. And we ought, we ought not try. But 
God has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell, to dwell within us. And we're, we're taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit, what it looks like to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And in a very detailed way, these nine aspects of the fruit that we'll continue next time. But may God help us. Let's first have an attitude of, I have love. I have joy. I have peace. I have long-suffering. Not in an arrogant way. It's, it's not me that has it. It's something I've conjured up. But I have it because God says in his word that I have it. And you know what? As I look at my life, as I've walked with Christ, I, I, I see that difference. I would have handled a situation differently back then, but now I handle it in a way that, that is more like what the scriptures say. And all we can say is, thank you, Jesus, for this. Praise God that, that it's that way in my life. So let's begin there. We have this. And then next we can we can try to increase it, and where we fail, we go to, to God and confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Well, amen. Well, let's pray.